Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. It's great to see all of you. We're starting a brand new series this morning about being encouraged and staying encouraged and trying to get above the things that try to pull you down. And there is a way to do that, by the way. Everybody is going through something. We've talked about that. Probably in this room, there are people going through relational issues. Some of you may be going through some financial stuff. Some of you may be going through some physical stuff. Everybody's going through some stuff. Stuff just happens. It's part of life. And so there is a way whereby we can deal with those things. There's a way, not only can we just cope with them, but we can rise above them. And we're going to be looking at this famous passage in the Bible where Jesus walked on the water, where he literally put his feet on top of the thing that tries to put us under. And he shows us some principles in this, in this passage that will help us rise above and stay encouraged and to take courage. And this morning, I want to talk to you about this topic of sovereign storms, sovereign storms. The idea that sometimes God not just permits storms, sometimes he causes storms. And he will sometimes send us right in the middle of a stormy circumstance. And what we can learn from that. Now here's what you'll find when you study scripture. There are two things that happen in life. Life comes at you in two different ways. One, it happens in seasons. Seasons, we've talked about that. Ecclesiastes three verse one, to everything there is a season. And there is a time to every purpose under heaven. Everybody goes through seasons. You're in a season of life right now. We use that as an expression, and it's true. Uh, The thing about seasons is we're not in control of them. They just happen. Uh, We have no control over them. We don't know when they happen. We don't know when they end or how long they're going to uh, last. But seasons come. You may be in a season now, the person next to you, in front or behind you, are watching online with you. They're not going through the very same season. So seasons are out of our control. And the Bible says that uh, those seasons come to everything. Everything, there is a season. Some of you are in a season of sowing. You're, you're, you're sowing and you're watering and you're, and you're waiting for a harvest to happen in your life. Some of you are being plowed and replanted, right? Uh, it's rough getting plowed and replanted. Some of you are in that season. Some of you are getting fertilized, and that's not fun either. Uh, it happens, but it's a part of the process. You can't grow without it. And so I'm just suggesting to your heart this morning that life happens in seasons, and seasons are things you and I are not in control over. But here's the second thing that happens to us. Life happens in cycles. Now, seasons I'm not in control of, cycles I am. (laughs) You ever see people that just repeat bad behaviors thinking they're going to get a different outcome? Like the guy that says, I bang my head against the wall because it feels so good when I stop. (laughs) You see people, you know anybody that you just have these this, this bad habits they get into. They're just drawn into bad relationships. They surround themselves with bad people. They just have a bad attitude. Well, let me tell you, sometimes the storms of life happen because of a season that God is sending you through. Sometimes storms happen just because of the cycles that we bring on ourselves. 
There are self-imposed storms. I can get myself into a huge mess just over a bad attitude, uh, a bad action, a bad activity, bad association. There are a lot of reasons why you can go into some storms of your own making. So there are seasonal and cyclical types of storms. And so I would say, if you're in a storm this morning, whatever that storm might be, ask yourself, is this a season or is this a cycle? Is this something God has permitted or caused or allowed, or is this something actually I've kind of brought on myself, so I just got to navigate my way through it? I'll be okay, but I need to learn from it. So it'll come at you in one or two ways. Seasons are cycles. Now, in the narrative we're going to be looking at, this great passage of Jesus walking on the water, what's incredible about it, it comes right on the heels of a tremendous miracle. In Matthew 14, it happens where uh, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Now, a few weeks ago during the I Am series, we talked about Jesus' declaration where he said, I am the bread of life, right? That happened in context of that experience. And so we studied a little bit about the feeding of the 5,000. And I would tell you that it was much more than 5,000. Uh, the Bible counts the men in that instance. And you have 5,000 men, it stands to reason you're gonna have 5,000 women around there somewhere. And we know that when you get 5,000 men and 5,000 women around, you're probably gonna have a bunch of kids somewhere. So probably it was 12, 15,000 people that were on hand. So it's just an incredible, unbelievable miracle. Now think about it. God allowed his disciples to be integral involved in leadership in a humanly impossible situation. He allowed them to be in, a, in a, an impossible situation, humanly speaking, so that he could show them there's never a situation that is impossible when you have God involved. And so in this impossible situation, when you read it, they were saying, how are we gonna feed these people? We're too far from town, Costco won't deliver. I mean, I don't know what we're gonna do. Domino's guy head exploded when I told him how many pizzas, nothing is working, we have no other way. And Jesus uh, discovers the little boy, remember with the sack lunch, multiplies it, blesses it, breaks it, passes it out, and not only did everybody eat, there were baskets full left over. So what's the takeaway? The takeaway for the boys is, boys, I'm not gonna be around physically a long time. I'm going to the cross, to the tomb, and ascending to the Father, and so I'm gonna leave leadership in your hands, so you need to know, when you are faced with an impossible situation, as long as I'm involved, it's not impossible at all. So that was one of the lessons of Matthew 14. And then the second lesson comes right on the heels of that lesson, which tells me they really didn't learn what he was trying to teach them. Because now he's gonna give them the second part of that lesson. Another impossible situation, another situation that was going to test and try their faith, another situation that they cannot get through it without his help. So in Matthew 14, if you have a Bible, take a look at it uh, with me. If not, take a look at the screen. We have it for you here. Verse 22, immediately. Now this is happening right after the feeding of the 5,000, 15,000, how many were there? Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. Now the word made in the Greek is to be compelled, commanded. He didn't give them a choice. Get in the boat, boys. <laughs> now I, I would say they were probably enjoying the experience of feeding the 5,000. I would say they were probably um, pretty popular among the people. They were saying, man, that's part of his posse. These are the guys who just served us. Wow, dude, can I have your autograph? What, you know? And so all of a sudden you see Jesus separating his apostles from the people. Uh, I, I think there's a lot you could probably take from that. Part of what I take from that is he was teaching them the importance and the significance of replenishing yourself after you've ministered to others. 
Uh, if you're in the people business, if you're in the line of work that deals with people, let me tell you something. People are wonderful. They'll make you effective and successful, but they'll drain the ever-loving life out of you. There comes a time after you have ministered and served and worked with others that you have to separate yourself from people. People will make you popular, but time with God will make you powerful. And so he is separating them from the people. He's saying, you have ministered, you've passed out food, you need to get away. Get in the boat, get away from the people. You don't need your ego stroked anymore. You're good, get in the boat, and notice what he tells them to do. Go ahead to the other side. Now here's the will of God, and you understand this because this is significant. This was the will of God prior to the storm was, I want you to go to the other side. He didn't say you're gonna go out in the middle of the lake and drown. He didn't, neither did he say, you're going to get out in the middle of the lake and have the life scared out of you either. See, he doesn't tell us that. The 119th Psalm says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path. It didn't say it's a beacon that shines way down the way. <laughs> life comes at you a frame at a time, right? Only God is providential. Providential comes on the idea of pro video. It means to see ahead. I don't have that benefit. <laughs> I deal with it a frame at a time, right? And so he's not telling these guys that they'll get to the other side. He's telling them, my will is for you to go to the other side. So he's telling them, he's not, he's not telling them what's gonna happen on the journey. He's just telling them about the destination. Get in the boat, go to the other side. So this was the will of God for them. So my point is, I don't want you to miss this. They were doing what he told them to do. They were where he told them to be. Understand that. Because sometimes cyclical storms, you didn't do what he told you to do. Cyclical storm, I'm not where he's supposed to be. Seasonal storm, I'm right where I was supposed to be. A seasonal storm, I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing, and boom, here's a storm. You see the difference here? So they're right where they're supposed to be, doing what they're supposed to be doing, and then he separates from them. He's not with them. Now, one of the storms you read about in Matthew 8, remember, he's asleep in the boat. This storm, he's not physically with them. One storm, they can see him. The other storm, they can only sense him. You see the difference? One storm is he's physically in the boat. They can go wake him up, touch him. Jesus, don't you care? We're gonna go down with the boat here. You gotta do something. And he rebukes their faith and says, peace be still. And the storm ceased. In this case, they don't see him. They just sense He's, he's out there somewhere. <laughs> I, I don't see him, but I know he's there. And so here they are. He's by himself praying. Later that night, he's there alone. And the boat was already, no, a considerable distance from land. Now, the Sea of Galilee, this huge lake, was about six, seven miles across, about 13 miles long. And what we know from the narrative is they were going across this six-mile stretch of the lake, and they were right in the middle of it about three to five o'clock in the morning. And the Sea of Galilee was known for sudden, severe storms. Situated a few hundred feet below sea level, surrounded by mountains, and all of a sudden those winds could, be, uh, could become boisterous, and those waves could become fierce, and even the most uh, experienced sailors could get in trouble in a storm on the Sea of Galilee. Now I would remind you, at least three of his disciples were uh, fishermen by trade. Uh, these three guys were very good at piloting a ship. They were very good at steering a boat. And so these were seasoned veterans out in the middle of the lake. And now here is a storm that happens that God has sovereignly allowed 
because they are doing what he told them to do where he told them to be. They cannot see him, they can only sense him, and they're in the middle of the storm. So the Bible says it's buffeted, the waves are coming because the wind was against it. You get the idea they're rowing against this wind. It's too far to go back, it's closer to keep going. Besides, this is what God told them to do, so they're continuing to press on. Shortly before dawn, Jesus goes out to them, nope, walking on the lake, right? And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. (laughs) They said, it's an aberration, it's a ghost, it's not real. What's the point? The point is these guys were so focused on their fear. They had been so focused on the storm that now not only do they not sense him, they don't even see him. And can I say it doesn't matter how, how dedicated or devoted you are to Christ, when you find yourself in the middle of the storm, it is easy to get into a place where you don't feel you can see him or even sense him. When you're in the middle of a storm, sometimes you pray and you feel like your prayers aren't getting any higher than the ceiling. And you wonder if God is connected or interested or listening. And so these guys were rowing and they're afraid. Uh, The biggest killer of faith is fear and they're terrified. And even when he shows up, they don't recognize it as him at first. There's a lot of people that have God encounters in their life and they don't recognize it as him at first. There are people who have friends who've loved them and encouraged them and didn't realize that that was God sending someone into your life to encourage you and to help you, but you didn't recognize it at first. There are circumstances that happen where all of a sudden you find yourself filled with joy when you are no longer filled with fear and you don't recognize that that's God showing up in your situation, but you didn't see him at first. So I understand their fear, I understand their terror, I understand how they didn't see him even though he was there, and they didn't sense him even though he knew where they were. By the way, he's in the mountain praying in their middle of the lake, and his GPS was right on the mark. (laughs) He pulls up his little Garmin Holy Spirit GPS and says, I know right where they are. And can I tell you this morning, God knows exactly where you are. Don't miss that. You may be feeling like no one understands and no one connects and no one uh, really gets you, but let me tell you this morning, God knows you. He knows exactly where you are. There's no accident you're here. There's no accident you're watching this. The providence of God, the sovereignty of God brought you to this moment because there's something significant in the service he wants you to know. So I'm just suggesting you, he knew right where they were. They didn't sense him, but he saw them. And so he comes to them and they said, they cry out in fear. And Jesus immediately says three things to them. Isn't this beautiful? He says, look, number one, take courage. He says, number two, it's I. Number three, don't be afraid. (laughs) Wow, what great words, what great encouragement. And these men in that vessel that day learned something about Jesus and learned something about themselves that I contend they never forgot. A couple of things and we'll go home that a storm will do. When God sends you sovereignly into a storm, there's a few things it'll do. Number one, the storm will inspect you. It inspects us. What do I mean by that? It reveals something to me about me that I didn't know before. You don't know how strong you are till you're tested. You don't know how strong your faith is till it's tested. We're in a very safe environment, spiritual environment. We're in a church this morning. Collectively, we're gathered. We can hold hands and worship and sing kumbaya. This isn't the test of your faith. 
The test of your faith is when you break this big old holy huddle and you go back out into the real world when it's just you and them and other things and you don't have this type of support around you. And can I tell you, God was allowing these boys to go into the storm for a reason and the reason was to strengthen their faith. And he knew that the only way they were gonna focus on their faith is if they were acquainted with their fear. These guys didn't realize so they were placed in a situation how much they were relying on their own strength and their own ingenuity and their own skills. And when they got to, their, to the end of themselves, they became full of fear. Most of us, if you might agree with this, most of us will do what we can do and we'll do what we know to do until we get to the point that we can't do it or we don't know what else to do. <laughs> Where most of us are kind of self-reliant that way. And sometimes God will sail you into a storm to bring you to the end of yourself. To bring you to a place where you will stop trying and start trusting. Where you'll say, God, I can't, but you can. And I realize my faith is not nearly as strong as it should be. It's like when you're in school and the teacher gives you a test. The teacher is giving you a test basically to try to understand if you're learning anything they're teaching, right? And the thing of it is, if you're not learning and most of the class fails, the teacher knows I'm gonna have to go back to the drawing board and reteach some things because in education, uh, everything builds on the other thing. One level to the next, when we have grades, right? Uh, you, you build level by level, grade by grade, one thing on the next thing, and if you skip a level or you miss material at a certain level, it will come back to haunt you when you get down the, way, the road a little bit. So they teach you and they test you. And the test is an evaluation to see if you're ready for a promotion. And here's what happens when you fail the test, you retake it. We call that a cyclical storm. <laughs> you go right back in it. Now if you pass it, it's a seasonal storm, it moves you to the next level. Now you're gonna have another challenge because with new levels come new devils, and, but it'll be different ones. And so it's preparing you for life at the next level, but I'm suggesting to your heart and your mind this morning that a storm will reveal something about you. What it revealed to these guys is the first instinct was to become fearful when it got beyond their capacity uh, to fix it. They became full of fear. You don't see faith engaged. You don't see any of them reminding them, hey guys, we're where God told us to be. We're doing what he told us to do. We're on our way to the other side. We're gonna be okay. This is a little scary, but we got it. We're gonna make it. God is with us. He, he didn't send us out here to drown. He sent us out here to get across this stupid lake. We're gonna be okay. None of that's going on. <laughs> what they're doing is going, oh my God, what's gonna happen to me? I'm on my way down. This is not gonna happen. I'm in trouble. I'm in serious trouble. And they're full of fear, and that was the result of the test. The test was not so that God would know where their faith was. The test was so that they would know where their faith was. He already knows. He's sovereign. He knew their faith was weak. He knew that he was going to need them down the road when he ascends to the Father after the cross and the resurrection. These guys are going to be responsible for launching the church. They're gonna lead an effort that's gonna be persecuted unlike any other effort up to that point in history had been persecuted and they needed to be strong. And he was evaluating his team and he said, man, these boys aren't strong enough to do this yet. He's like a trainer, he's like a coach. 
He's looking at them saying, man, you, you, you got to have some gas in the tank when you go into the fourth quarter. You get into the last period. When this thing starts narrowing down, you're going to need energy. And right now, you ain't going to make it. So I'm going to have to punch back into training. I'm going to have to stretch your faith. You're going to have to work out a little harder. You're going to have to put more into this because you're going to need the strength that comes from the training down the road. So this was a test. This was a, a faith-building factor that these guys were going through, and initially they failed it because he calls them out and says, man, your faith is small. <laughs> what happened to you? Oh, you have little faith. And man, when you go through a storm, I get it. One of the things that happens with the fear factor is the stress factor. And you know how you can measure the level of stress you're on? Is, uh, is whatever level of stress you're on, right behind the stress will be the fear factor. And the higher the stress, the greater the fear. Stress, when you get stressed out and you're, you're, you're stressed to the maximum, stress also reveals your focus. Stress tells me where I'm focused. If, if my fress, uh, <laughs> stress, if my stress factor uh, created a word. That was a sniglet. Did you catch that? Uh, if my stress factor is high, as theirs was high, then that means they were focused on the storm and not on the Savior. They were focused on where they were, not on what he said. So stress is high. Now look, not all stress is bad. If you don't have a little stress on you, you won't get up and go to school or work tomorrow. <laughs> you, need, you need a little stress. You won't do anything with the kids or for the kids. Not all stress is bad. In fact, the band a minute ago, RJ, uh, Aiden, had these stringed instruments. And it, they only make music when there's some stress on the string. Now, too little stress, the music is dull. Too much stress, the music is shrill. So you gotta have the right amount of stress. But you need some stress on your string, or you're not gonna make music. Some of you are dull and some of you are shrill. <laughs> I didn't look at anybody when I said that. I looked right over your head. I'm just saying to your heart that, that what creates some, some temporary circumstances in our life is the measure of stress I have on the string. So you gotta monitor it. And I'm saying if, if, if it's dull, then you need, to, you need to engage a little more. Maybe you're not active enough. You need to get involved, get back in the game. If there's too much stress, then you're focused on the wrong thing. And if you don't fix it, you know what happens? The string will snap. Eventually the string snaps. So these boys had a lot of stress on the string and Jesus comes walking on the water and the first thing that happens is something is revealed to them. Uh, the storm inspects them. Number two, and hurriedly. Not only does it inspect us, but it directs us. It, it, what he was doing when he came to them on the water, he was changing their focus. He was redirecting them. Not only to their person, uh, their purpose rather, but to his person. They were saying, you're focused on the wrong thing. Let me tell you something, Jesus did not die for your circumstance, he died for you. Circumstances are just things he uses, good and bad, happy, sad, circumstances are what they are. That's why your joy has to be in something deeper than your circumstance. The word happy is an old English word that comes from this word happenstance. We don't use that word, we use this word circumstance. So one's happiness depends on their happenstance. In the old English language, they, they, one would say, my hap is good, meaning I'm in a good place right now. We don't use that expression anymore. But the idea is my happiness comes from my hap, and when my hap is good, I'm happy because I've got a good happenstance. I've got a good circumstance. But that's surface and shallow. It ebbs and flows. It comes, it goes. But joy is something you can have in the middle of a storm. 
Joy is something you can have when everything is, when you're rowing and you feel like you're getting nowhere and you're pushing across the lake and the winds are severe, all of a sudden he redirects you. Instead of seeing the storm, you see the Savior. You remember when David faced Goliath in 1 Samuel 17? All of David's brothers were scared out of their minds. The fear factor had taken over. They were fearful, not faithful. They were hiding in the rocks and David showed up. You know what gave David courage? He didn't see how much smaller he was than the giant. He saw how much larger God was than the giant. See the difference? He didn't compare himself to the giant. He didn't say, man, you are a big dude. You're nine foot. Mavericks would love to have you. <laughs> he didn't do any of that. But the idea was he didn't say, this is how much bigger you are than I am. He said, this is how much bigger God is than you are. You see the perspective? What happens when the storm is sovereign? If you'll allow it, not only will it inspect you, it'll direct you and suddenly you see how much bigger God is than your storm is. Can I remind you he's a healer? Can I remind you he's faithful? Can I remind you he's a provider? Can I remind you he cannot fail? Can I remind you that he is merciful and gracious? That he has a purpose? That he loves you more than you love you? You might not die for you, but he did. So one of the things that happens in the storm, if you'll allow it, he will direct you. Um, storms have a way of correcting courses, correcting storms, directing storms. You, you, you can get off course in the storm. You really can. You, 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 can, get way, you can get blown way off course. The, the thing you do is you just keep rowing. <laughs> you just keep rowing. So here, this, here they were, understanding something about themselves, redirecting uh, into a new purpose. And then thirdly, not only to inspect us and not only to direct us, but thirdly, to perfect us. These storms have a way of strengthening us. You know what one storm will do? <laughs> this is profound. It will, it will prepare you for the next one. And if you're smart, you learn from every storm. Uh, if you don't, then it's kind of like the failing test. You gotta go back and take it again. <laughs> When I'm going through something as I'm going through something, often what I'll say each day is, God, help me to learn what it is you want me to learn in this experience today. Help me to be better equipped to help somebody else that may be coming along the road I'm on, right? Help me to be sensitive to other people. Help me understand everybody's going through something. It may not be my something, but they're going through a something, and we need each other. And so one of the things that happen when you're in the storm and when you're rolling hard, your muscles get bigger. <laughs> I mean, one thing about it, man, uh, you, you, you're working hard, and as you're working hard and fighting against those waves, you're getting stronger. When you're doing resistance training, and uh, one of the things you do when you're pressing that weight, think about the weight that you're pressing off your chest. Think about that as prayer. And when it comes back down, think about it as your problem. When you press that up, you're praying, and when it comes back down, it's, it, it, the problem is still there. There's still a weight, right? But can I tell you, if you're going to get stronger, some weights are necessary. Uh, that's why in Hebrews, when he said, set aside the sin and the weight that easily besets us, not all weights are sin. Uh, the Bible says that he won't put on, on us anything that is not necessary, but there are some necessary weights. You ever work out with weights? It's necessary. I should tell you that. <laughs> There's weight that's necessary. 
There's things you have to have. If you're going to get stronger, you've got to have it. And so when it gets heavy, you press it away from you. And when it comes back to you, you continue to press it because in the process, you're getting stronger. What's my point? My point is this storm was perfecting them in a way. It was maturing them in a way. It was strengthening them in a way that nothing else in the world would do. And he came to them walking on the water, his presence. Let me give you this as I kind of wrap this up this morning. I found in my life, and maybe you've discovered this as well, that God seldom explains himself. Would you agree with that? Have, have you ever been in a storm and he, he just didn't explain the purpose? Can I remind you, he didn't explain it to them either. He didn't tell them. <laughs> Get in the boat, <laughs> and in the middle of the night, you're gonna be scared out of your minds. You're gonna think I'm nowhere around. You're gonna think you're on your last leg and this is your last day and you will not be able to see me and you won't even sense me. Now, have a great trip. <laughs> he didn't do that. You say, was he being less than honest? No, he just didn't put more. He, that information they could not have handled. Aren't you glad <laughs> that you really don't know everything that you know about your life? That You, he, you, you didn't get that all in the front end? You might not be married. <laughs> you might not be doing the job you're doing right now. You might, not, you might be running scared still now. But God doesn't show you that. Uh, 119 Psalm, thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. You know what he shows you? Where to put the next step. If you ever walk with a lantern, it'll just light the path. You just take the next step. He didn't tell those boys. He didn't explain to them. Here's the principle. We don't live on explanations. Here it is. We live on promises. Promises. Here's what I would tell you in your Bible study. When you find a promise, uh, write it down. You'll forget it. Um, pray it in and then live it out. Find a promise. Write it down. Ooh, that's a good one. I'm going to write that one down. <laughs> pray it in. God help me today not to forget this but to, and live it out. Walk in it. You know what faith is? Faith is, let me give this to you, uh, Hebrews 13, five, here it is. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Here's faith, verse six. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What does faith look like? Faith is God has said so that I can say. Faith is not wishing something to be so, so bad that maybe it becomes so, that's magic. <laughs> that's not faith. Faith is not a leap into the dark. Faith is saying what God has said. When I say what he said, I'm standing on his promise. I'm saying, God, you said, here's the promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's what he said. So I'm gonna say what he said. The Lord is my helper, and the result is, I'm not afraid. <laughs> when you say what he said, he said, I won't leave you, I won't forsake you. Uh, you may not be able to see me, and so there'll be times in your life you won't even be able to sense me. But I know where you are, I'm there. You're not gonna drown, you're gonna be okay. Keep rowing, keep heading to shore. One last verse, and this really honest to God is the last one. <laughs> Hebrews chapter six, Hebrews six nineteen. it's another nautical verse, so I'm staying right into the, right into the, the theme. Here's the verse, we have this hope, we have this hope as an anchor, it's a nautical verse, we have hope as an anchor of the soul, firm and secure, 
It enters, where does hope go? It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain, which is a, um, a term that if you lived in that first century day, you would get it in the temple worship form that represented the presence of God. Behind the veil was the holiest of holies, represented God's presence among his people. So he's saying, let's piece this together. We have hope. As a result of faith, faith gives you hope, right? When I know this is gonna work out, some way, somehow, someday, this is gonna work out. What gave me that, why did I say that? Because my faith in God. So faith gives me hope. Well, what is hope? Hope is an anchor, and this anchor is secured behind the veil, in other words, in the presence of God. Now let me piece this together. When they were bringing a big ship to shore back in that day, they had a smaller vessel they would launch out ahead of the larger one. And the smaller vessel was called a forerunner. And in the smaller vessel, they would place the anchor. And the guys, the crew in the, in the forerunner would row to the shore. And when they got to the shore, they would take the anchor out of the forerunner and they would tie it off somewhere on the beach that was safe and secure, typically to a boulder. And once they had tied that off, the crew would then get a hold of the rope. And as the pilot is trying to bring the ship to a safe place, they would pull to keep the ship oriented correctly to the shoreline, and they would pull, bringing the ship to shore. Well, what is he saying? Jesus is the forerunner. He has taken my faith that anchors my soul, and he has placed it in the presence of God. And so every experience of life that I'm going through, I'm not anchored down, I'm anchored up. And on the other end of the line somewhere, he ever lives to make intercession for me, you know what he's doing? He's pulling that rope. Right now, in the middle of your storm. You're navigating, you're wondering, and and what he's doing, he's bringing you into his presence. He's bringing you closer and closer into his presence. So I would say keep the faith. Keep rowing. Know that he is not going to leave you and he will not forsake you. Keep saying what he said. Keep standing on his word. He cannot, he will not fail. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. Thank you that it gives us a basis for our faith. As the hymn writer said, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So on this rock I stand, all other ground sinking sand. So Father, we stand firmly today on the promise of your word. I pray for my friends who may never have trusted you today, that this might be the moment that they place their faith in you. I pray they'd pray a simple prayer and just say, Lord, with everything I know about me, I trust everything I know about you. And for others that are going through these storms, Lord, help them to keep the faith. Help them, Father, when they can't see you to know you're still there. Even when they can't sense you to know you are still there. You said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. So, Father, I pray in the dark nights and in the stormy Gale, I pray that our faith will be firm, that we'll keep calling out to you. We'll keep uh, sensitive to your Holy Spirit as you work in and through these experiences of our life. I pray, Father, for those who need someone to encourage them before they go to pray for them. As soon as I dismiss now, they'll find their way here to the front. They'll allow one of these wonderful people here to spend a minute just to pray over them and encourage them. Father, thank you for what you're doing, not only in our church, but through our church. We think about uh, Uganda and the orphanage there and the great work that's being done there and all the people that are involved there. Lord, we, we celebrate this, we celebrate that, 
and we're grateful to be a part of all you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Before you go, I want to reintroduce you for some of you and introduce you to others of you to a remarkable, incredible, wonderful lady that leads the God Care Schools. Her husband's in heaven, but she has taken the leadership of that ministry. Uh, over 1,800 children now this lady is uh, responsible for with her team. Would you welcome Florence and Pastor Mary here So I'm super excited. We had a great weekend here at the Met. We had our um, run yesterday. Yeah. And that's our big fundraiser that we do to help raise the money um, that we're going to be able to spend on our mission trip. So we're taking another group of 21, and we're leaving at the end of June to get to go serve down um, with the Dongos, and it's always a great time. We always say, you guys know, you're more blessed when you serve. So it's been a wonderful endeavor. This is our eighth year to actually go. Um, and being partnering with them. And as Bill said, they have 1,800 kids now. Is that crazy? Um, that they take care of, they feed, they do great physical things for them, medical care, everything that they would need. But they also teach them about Jesus. And those kids, oh, they'll, hey, you better be ready. They're saying, what's your favorite verse? And they're like reading a whole chapter. It's not, <laughs> it's not John 3, 16. Yeah. They're not going for that. Jesus wept. Um, no, they're not going for that. <laughs> so we got to get our game on before we go because... They, they just have to trust the Lord. You know, they've lost most of their family to death from AIDS or war, different things. So they really trust the Lord um, as we have probably never had to. So we're honored to get to be um, Florence to come down. She heads back tomorrow. Um, but I wanted her just to share a little bit of the new things that are going on and um, always new initiatives as we send money. They just do amazing things. We're so honored to get to, to partner with them and see what, what God can do with a little here what we feel like when we send there, it's huge. So Florence, tell them some of the great things that are going on this year. Thank you so much, pastors. Thank you, Mitch Church, for your unending love. We are so grateful. You brought hope, joy, and also making these kids have a, a bright, great future. Thank you for really reaching your hands to us, you made us proud, and also you made us to see that the Lord really loves us. The 1,800 kids couldn't make it without you, without many of you, and also the single mothers. Uh, we have raised three buildings. They are not yet done, but we have roofed, also made everything. When I go back, and when she comes with the team, we believe that we are going to fix the windows, doors, floor, so that the single mom also have a place to stay. You've made a great difference. Thank you so much. May the Lord bless you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. We're gonna scoot out, so you guys feel free to come by the table, the missions table over there, and if you aren't sponsoring a kid for $35 a month, Oh, I would say, is that what you spend on um, Starbucks? But no, that's like a week now, right? We used yeah, to could say that. Exactly. So come by and say hi to us. Yeah, be sure and go out and, and see these, uh, this beautiful lady and let her know you love her and are praying for her and her staff and team. And like Mary said, if you haven't yet adopted one of those kids, $35 a month, you can change a child's life. And so I'm so happy that she could be here. She's remarkable, isn't she? Isn't that a great, wonderful ministry? So awesome.
Well, our goal is always finished before you do, so I hope that happened again today. So we'll see you next weekend. God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.